GM, GM. GM, GM. How goes it? Good. How's your morning? <laughs> it's going well. It's going well. Recovering a bit from yesterday. I, uh, as a terminally online individual, I hadn't oh, lost much. Yeah, yeah. In the last couple of days, I've been uh, touching grass. Playing by Same, dude. I had two, uh, two fantasy football drafts in two days. Yeah, I've been, I'm fantasied out. But are uh, you, uh, we did our we did our, our draft yesterday outside. It was are nice. you big into fantasy? Do you play like uh, online leagues, or are you playing with people who are like around you in real life? Real humans. Can you believe it? Ooh. I know. I know. I uh, I was just telling him like my brother-in-law yesterday, or my sister-in-law and brother-in-law yesterday. They're like on. What day was it? Uh, on two days ago, the day before Memorial Day, I was sitting there with like a larger group of people, and one of the like wives of the guys there was talking about stuff. And while I was listening to her talk, <laughs> I was just thinking to myself, like, it's really hard to relate sometimes to, you know, what people that aren't. I don't. I don't know if it's just our industry. Maybe it's like finance in general or tech and finance in general no it's our industry is it it's crypto we're like the crypto or the crypto guy i just feel like they like uh the topics of discussion are even more meaningless than like our meaningless quote unquote you know magical internet money so like i listen to these things and like the type of complaints that like they may have and it's just like why does that matter you know so it, it i think i need to get out more <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, if you think of like, so in terms, this is the way I, I think about it, just like as a third party observer at a lot of these like fantasy things is I, I don't take fantasy seriously. A lot of these guys take fantasy seriously. I hit the playoffs every year, but I also have business intelligence, like, you know, data analytics background, right? So like, I watched one NFL game last year and I still hit the playoffs in both my leagues. Nice. Um, but like, it, it's, it's like a numbers game, right? It's, it's, it's just like, it's making quick decisions right based on different numbers that you have available to you and so like I, that's a translatable skill that i think is probably was developed both in finance and in crypto but when you just like look at them from like a third party and what they're discussing it's like and i said this yesterday too is is like constant betting like on games in which that they have no they don't like the teams they don't, you know, they have they they don't have any allegiance. They don't follow the teams. It's just like, what game is playing tonight? Okay, uh, what's the line? All right, I'll bet on this. And so it's like it's similar to like what we do with a lot of things. Uh, yeah, I agree only with much that. Smaller about, size. We I, we do it in much larger size. I definitely agree with that on <clears throat> fantasy um, type games because yeah, you're it is a numbers game. You know, you're if if you go in having don't have having done no no uh if you go in having done no analysis on any of the players and you're just picking people who are big names, you're going to get wrecked. But yeah, like these guys, like, they'll, they'll, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's fun because it's like a, a normie thing to do with, you know, normie friends. Yeah. And there's not a lot of people in the crypto space, but um, yeah, I, I just see it. It's like, it, there's a, a like for like in terms of like what the hobby is. Ours is just as, ours is profit maximization and, you know, they live normie lives and do normie things and have normie interests. There, it's, it's, 
strange because like the everyone lives to some extent for profit maximization. It's that like the <clears throat> avenues of sourcing that um it's like we we've been able to see more pathways to get to there um or are willing to open up our risk tolerance to find them yeah we ha we're all like <laughs> so um when you work on at like a large um traditional bank or large finance company and you're moving like massive quantities of, of money around um it's, it's just like numbers right so like you're completely um like you have no emotion right it's just like okay i push this button i just moved like four billion dollars right like it, it it's it's so i i it, but it's not your money, right? So you don't have that like emotional yeah. connection. And then you come to crypto and you start small and you start moving money around. And then you have, everyone has like one massive loss or two massive losses. And like, even if it was all unrealized gains, right? You like started at 10,000, it went up to 500,000 and went back to 10,000. Like you have this perceived loss of like, I lost 500 grand. Um, and so you really feel those emotion elements. But then as the more that kind of happens, you also become immune to, that like a lot of that uh, emotional side of trading, I think, and like, especially if you've been around for a few cycles. Uh, yeah, it's, I would say that, yeah, everyone has profit maximization in it, but like we do it at a scale, which is like unparalleled to other people because like once you get through a few cycles, it's like, it's not emotional games. Like, so some of these guys, like they talk about like, oh, I put 250 on that trade and uh, like, I'm back in back in the last bull run. We're paying that in gas just to execute, just to place a bet. Um, yeah, that's become one of the harder. Can't relate things to people for me. With that, yeah. You can't become, relate to any of your friends with that. It's become one of the like hardest things for me when gambling in real life on things, or not like sports betting or going to the casino, but like with friends in a game or um, making a wager that um i'm used to doing that with my internet friends where you know it'll be i bet you you know five eth you know that this or that happens and nobody cares because to them those are just their game tokens their casino chips mm -hmm. but in real life you know people are like i bet you 20 bucks I bet you 50 dollars this happens and i'm like keep the money man it's not worth it <laughs> let's just let's just laugh if one of us wins yeah my well, this is a trip a, a while ago, but hey, we, went to, we all went to Vegas and like, yeah, the, my bet placing is like a lot larger. And it's not like at that time, I did not have more money than them per se. Um, you just, you just, you have a lot less emotion. So it's like, this makes a lot more, they haven't been through those like large losses or large gains. Um, and so like even a small gain, like hits them in the gut. And they're like, I could have bought, you know, a McDonald's lunch with that or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, if it's not worth, it's like, then also when they start asking you to like invest their money and you're like, my risk tolerance is completely different to yours. So if you give me like a thousand dollars and you only have $10,000 in the bank and I lose it, 
I'm like, I'm placing a thousand dollar, but I'm placing twenty thousand, one thousand dollar bets on things that I'm okay with all of them going to zero. Um, yeah, like, I had that happen. Large, last that's a large season. part of their net worth, and so it's like, I it's not worth my it's not worth my it's not worth me taking a small amount of money from you because my risk tolerance is completely asymmetrical to yours. I don't normally give any, you know, tips, hints, you know, anything to like any people that I know outside of crypto, even in crypto, you know, like you don't see me on my Twitter, like shilling tokens for people to buy. If I'm like, quote unquote, shilling something, it's usually me making memes about it or like, I don't know, an Anata. (laughs) Um, But I had a friend that I... um, gave some info that I felt was good info at the time. He followed me into a trade, did really, really well. And uh, I remember when he wanted to pull out and I was like, you got another, you know, one X essentially on this, like, um, I mean, another two X on this essentially, like, I think you should hold it. We're almost there. And he's like, nah, nah, nah. Like, I don't care. Like, you know, this is enough for me. And he wanted to get out and to be honest, it made me relook at the chart because mm-hmm. he was someone who was like uber bullish all the time. You know, that that kind of new entrant to crypto where like all the numbers going up is just like pure euphoria for them. So they can't think of anything else. But for some reason, uh, he was like, no, it's it's up enough for me. I'm going to I want to cash everything up. So uh, I went back and looked and I didn't sell. I ended up selling two days later. But he was right. He literally like marked the top. And, uh, and, you know, sold the top and then I took like a a 10% haircut from the top. So wasn't that bad, but, but it just made me think, you know, like, uh, sometimes that like normie intuition, we, we lack, um, because we will compare, you know, like, uh, we'll compare a token and its chart to like something else that, um, that doesn't really matter. Right. Like it's not a base pair people are trading against. We're just like, Oh, well, this one is, you know, fits the same type of uh, attention that the other one has gotten. And it's a mass similar TVL. So its chart should play out similar. And uh, it's a terrible, like, habit to form (laughs) that just because something did it, like, this one will last just as long or go just as high. Um, That's usually the crowded trade. There's usually a lot of people thinking that. Fair enough. But also, they also can be good counter indicators as well. <laughs> yeah, usually he's a good counter indicator. Like yeah, for, his, yeah. his 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 doge uh, his doge calls were. I I had to like beg him to not buy them, and luckily he didn't. Yeah, I hate it when people find out that you work in like blockchain or whatever, and then like your barber starts talking to you about like. <laughs> stuff that he's been seeing on tiktok and whatnot like i'm like i i try to stir the conversation away from that i'm not going to even try to relate to you on that level of a fee if you're putting money in doge and i'm like when your barber's telling you that uh you know doge is going to go to a dollar you're like all right um I curb it real quick by just telling him like, yeah, I don't pay attention to to coins like that. Like, I yeah. just trade. Well, no, I, I'll just, yeah, I'll curb it. Like, I don't, I don't pay attention to price. Like, even, even though we all take that's that's like the only thing. Now we, I just, I completely curb it to. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm just one of the software devs. I'm not a trader. 
<laughs> yeah, I just, <laughs> I do BD. I work in finance, in business development for finance. Um, you know, one thing that recently, especially the last like two months, because uh, my friends try to relate. And so like, they'll talk about crypto or they mostly will like try to like dunk and be like, not doing that well. And I'm like, dude, it's, especially when like Bitcoin is a 30 grand. I'm like, it's like still the best performing asset this year. Like what? <laughs> I'm like, like what? Because because you're not following it, <laughs> like, it's it's like, like no, eighty percent. Like, what are you talking be about? Doing better, you know. Like, it, it was like sixty grand one time. You know, should be a lot better than now. It's all yeah, insane. it's just like there's so like I don't know. It's, Up it's, <laughs> it, it's still. Then you remember like, okay, well, it's still less than one percent of the global population. <laughs> it's us. Uh oh. But I don't know, man. All these these stats we've been looking at every day look uh, pretty bullish on the adoption side. Like we don't we don't see it. That's one thing I think we're pretty blind to in the when you're like in the trenches, when you're in the arena trying things. You uh, <laughs> you don't often see uh, like in the real world what the adoption is looking like or the type of conversations that are happening because we're fucking online all day <laughs> but when you look at like some of these stats and metrics like the vietnam one right what was it, like 70 percent, 75 turkish one is massive yeah the, yeah devcon's gonna be in turkey this year hong kong doing a bunch of stuff like there are so many uh there are so many huge kind of adoption metrics that countries in europe and asia have put out that um it seems like we may almost think there's less adoption than there really is because it's not being showcased on crypto Twitter. Yeah. Cause we're in our echo chambers or because like, you know, volume isn't showing that there's large inflows, but like the mass adoption isn't going to, I think be shown to us by large inflows, right? Like that's a different type of mass adoption. That's institutions and banks like, deciding now we can onboard our clients into into crypto and we can get our own positions like mass adoption is hundreds of thousands of people in like fucking africa now all trading crypto on their their phone seamlessly from their bank to whatever exchange they want like we're not going to see that because trading ten dollars twenty dollars worth of crypto at a time isn't putting the metrics up that analysts are looking for to say oh the bull market has started oh adoption is here hey volume precedes price so yeah one um i already forgot what i was gonna say <laughs> one uh <laughs> oh, oh oh that i know what it was so there was i, I retweeted the other day but um uh, paradigm like crypto paradigm like the trader paradigm not the not the yeah um, i know you're talking about okay he posted a video of a guy who like went down into the weeds of like what the next like 10 years will look like in terms of crypto as a collateralized asset and what does that mean for like traditional markets um capital markets um lending and uh, I think he does a really good job of showcasing like, okay, what does an ETF enable, right? Like an ETF enables 
a asset that can be collateralized in a, in the traditional banking world without having to bridge any of the like crypto or web three or blockchain based elements, right? They care, they take care of the blockchain based elements. You get an ETF that is tied to this spot asset of Bitcoin, but now you can use that asset for collateralization of a ton of things. And right. And that collateralization of a ton of things means that like you get this liquidity movement um, of like traditional U.S. dollars uh, in all these different spaces. And so like, but the ETF um, manager gets actually control of like the underlying asset, um, even though the the third party or the holder of that ETF, it gets like, you know, the upsides and downsides. But that this is why when you see stuff like BlackRock owns all of this, BlackRock owns all of that, it's because technically... Um, as a manager, they're holding sure. that inventory. Yeah, exactly. They're holding all that inventory. Um, so when it comes to like voting on a proxy of like a corporate, you know, like they control all of that. Um, which it's just, it's just, it's super interesting. And if you look like five, 10 years out and you're like, okay, just like okay, a Bitcoin and Ethereum is like one thing, but then you get like these large ETF like um, groups that have, I mean, he doesn't talk about this in the video, but I'm just thinking out loud. Like, plays into these large, like, um, DeFi protocols. It's an it's an interesting future because um, we don't have any anything like that right now. We don't have a large index or ETF crypto bundle that then has this like massive outsized play on the governance of all these different protocols. How long do you think before? we see something like that where you know it's taken this long for an ethereum etf to even be close enough for people to be like uh excited for a real reason you know like i i remember in like 2018 and stuff when like etfs were getting thrown around there wasn't it it wasn't realistic in my opinion to anyone outside of like the the far end of the spectrum of like the boltards now that i think we've kind of reached a point of adoption uh no pun intended i guess but um that well, it's very plausible right like you have uh you, you have you know heads of the big banks who are coming out and talking about bitcoin in a positive light um, you have fund managers, uh, BlackRock, you know, and other large ones coming out and, and giving Bitcoin praise and, uh, God, how many ETFs over the, in the last year, like close to 20 now, I think like have been, applications have been submitted. It's like 13, just, uh, the other week. Well, if you, if you take that play, that crypto paradigm, like the, the video that he puts on is that like the major narrative change that we will see once a Bitcoin ETF or Ethereum ETF gets approved is the ESG nature, right? So like, obviously there's a massive amount of money that went into ESG based funds, right? So like sustainable funds or, you know, companies that to get, to get listed, to get included in these bundles, you had to adhere to, you know, certain, certain things, whether your businesses are, um, like eco-friendly in terms of power utilization, like your buildings, or you know, you're reinvesting so much money into a long-term plan to get, you know, carbon neutral or whatever, right? Like, so there's this this long, long-term play into being ESG friendly, ESG plus, 
And if you, especially with a lot of the miners moving out of China, I think that like that makes perfect sense is that you'll get this narrative. Obviously, Ethereum's already there, right? You get this yeah. narrative of of these ESG plus um, assets, which is Bitcoin and Ethereum. And then you don't necessarily, you haven't seen these outsized returns with these ESG funds, right? But if you add a, an asset that has, at least with bit, you know, it has finite supply, especially with Bitcoin, then you can get some of these, um, uh, you can put those in some of those bundles where you then start to get a, the appreciation of a finite supply, especially if we continue to start printing in the next like two years again, right? So if we see a, a downward trajectory of, of the economy next year, you could start to see printing again. You see, start to see printing again. Obviously, Bitcoin price will go up. And so then you can you can get some of these outsized returns by holding BTC in these ESG bundles, um, which makes perfect sense to me. And usually in the ETF market, it's like it's winner take all. And like, so you'll, you'll need to land grab as much as you can in the first like six months, because at that point, then when you go and you go to your, you know, if you're a retail person or your grandma, mom and pop or whatever, and you go to your portfolio and you're just going to look at like, I want to buy an ETF. Like it's going to be like the largest by TVL and you're, you know, nine out of 10 people are not going to look at number two. They're only going to look at number one. Right. They're like, oh, everyone else, you know, wisdom of the herd, everyone else is in this one. So you're just it's going to be a winner take all market. Yeah. <clears throat> um, what I was kind of asking is, you know, like so it, it's taken this long for them to get to the finish line kind of with just Bitcoin and ETH. And the way I was kind of interpreting what you were saying previously was that, you know, we'll move into this world where there are uh, essentially like an altcoin indexed ETF, right? Like of maybe like the fangs of, of crypto. And if there is still this uncertainty of whether or not they can classify uh, or, or I don't know, regulate ETH enough to where they can uh, uh, provide an ETF publicly. What do you think or how long do you think it will be before something that is more of a basket of these top blue chips blue chips come through that, i think that i would be i, much I, I like, could see it like a tough like uphill battle to get that but maybe i'm wrong no i agree with you but i could see you you get a bitcoin ethereum is going to come six months after if not you already see people that are re retransitioning to there's to a weighted basket so like a 50-50 Bitcoin ETH, right? So they're already trying to get ahead of that. Um, so yeah, I think Bitcoin, January, sometime before the 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 halving. And then Ethereum will be six months after that. And then you'll see large inflows. And then I would I I bet I have no idea after that. It could be it depends on regular the regulatory clarity. But I think that is enough of a catalyst to kind of push the market forward that you could see the resurgence of a DPI, right? Like you could see a resurgence of a DPI that's provided on maybe like a, like a, a crypto token that is actually an index itself in which that it's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily roll up into a traditional market ETF, but you can buy it on like a Robinhood. Right. It's still in its crypto form. 
And then I could see something like, you know, like a DPI, DPI taking off again, where, you know, you have 20 different assets, you know, the, the simplicity of investing in crypto, I think will come back then and you won't have to go into like the weeds. And it's like, you know, what is your, what is your crypto portfolio look like? Okay. Well, you know, 50% Bitcoin, 25% ETH, 25%, you know, I hate indexes ETH. so much. <laughs> Well, it, it, if you think about simplicity, it's like, okay, I obviously, it. we, I just we hate it. It's like such a, you know, you such name, a go ahead. I'll, I'll I was going to say, yeah, you name any of the top, like, you know, three, 400 tokens that are on CoinGecko and we can, we can, you know, we can nail off if it's good or bad. Right. But you can't like, like traditional investors can't do that. Institutions might start putting desks to it, but I, I just don't. I don't think short. the average investors, you know, that's why they buy ETFs is because it's just fundamental investing. You have a, a weighted portfolio, you know, that's what you do. I guess, if, I, I, I guess actually like, you know, if they're settling in us dollars, then it's not, uh, it's not as bad, right? Like then there's a, there's a chance I, I'd have to look at it in, <laughs> in dollars uh, my problem is that like I compare everything to to ETH in this uh, in that realm, I guess, right? And like indexing for a long period of time versus just having inventory of ETH has shown to be not the best <laughs> playbook in in almost any like long term. We'll say uh, long term being like. I don't know, six months plus. Has there ever been a time that an index of uh, altcoins has outpaced ETH? And I don't know if that would be true. Because they're too correlated, right? You can have a yeah, yeah. you can have a, a urine maker, you know, compound index, but they're so correlated. Then, <laughs> like you, you know, it's there really is no alpha in being an active manager on those. I could see that changing though. And that's where like, I could see like a resurgence yeah, yeah. of a lot of these like token sets and values and, you know, where there's like a, there's a specific asset and there's an asset manager. I think it's my, like the point of view that I'm coming, that I'm coming from that, um, or kind of my like line of thinking and actions that turns me off to it. Because if I were starting in fiat, and I wanted exposure, then it it may be uh, a good play just for me to have exposure to the other things happening in the market. If I'm if my returns are in USD and I entered it with USD, um, but you know my brain works backwards, works opposite, inverse from that, I guess. Where it's like I have ETH, so. What am I going to buy or index that will outpace this? And who am I locking this with for, you know, X amount of whatever their, their <clears throat> contract is for? Like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Look, I mean, you can automate a lot of it. Um, I definitely you... agree with you. Like, we'll, we'll we'll see something like that probably be like exactly what you said too, like maker compound urine like any of these maybe it'll be just like dpi right it'll be like the, the erc20 it, it literally probably will be dpi yeah. <laughs> dpi in the cme <laughs> um no i do, i don't think that these are going to get traditional finance approval uh 
in the like foreseeable future unless we see like strong regulatory changes yeah i think it's still gonna live as an erc20 that is a basket of other erc20s (laughs) just like dpi is where it's just like an actual token i don't think that's gonna ever roll up to be actually be an etf so you'll still have to do it via your fidelity like you i could see it being a listed asset in fidelity digital assets like on Robinhood on Coinbase, stuff like that. Like you're not going to, you're not going to see it in your traditional, you know, uh, JP Morgan Chase investment portfolio, unless they start supporting crypto tokens. But who knows? Maybe we'll get regulatory, you know, clarity and there'll be, we'll see like uh, someone like a grayscale to be one of the first ones to come out and do it. Right. Cause they did a lot of the Z caches and Solana trusts and stuff like that. Yeah. I could see them. I could see them being well placed to do something like that if they are allowed to. Love that meme, regulatory clarity. <laughs> <laughs> hey man. Oh. Uh regulatory clarity and um election years is the biggest things that, that kind of spook uh the market. So. Yeah. For sure. And this one's gonna be uh gonna be interesting. Um all right, should we get into some news? Yeah, let's get into some news. All right. Um, so we talk about this every once in a while. Denkun scheduled by end of the year. I think Uniswap V4 is scheduled to come out right after Denkun. So that gives you some you know, clarity on when that's going to come out. I feel bad for all the people building on Uniswap 3. It's kind of odd that they dropped V3... No, like we're not in close proximity or nor do we chat with them like often, but you would think if you're going to push like a major update to your protocol and you're kind of a like backbone that a lot of people build a top of or a substrate that protocols use that you would send out some kind of, you know, developer update like, hey, all, I, I, I disagree with right you. Now, I think they have done that. Dude. And that's why they released all of the V4 stuff six months before V4 is actually going to go live. So if you're currently integrating with V3, maybe you pivot because and that's why instead of doing like how they did from V2 to V3, like in, in that model, they just dropped V3 and they're like, here it is. And they had their, their video. And like, then you had the, the day they launched V3, you had could start building and integrating. Yeah, I guess you're they right. Did it different it's, this way. it's still coming out. It's still got a little bit to come out. <clears throat> All the hype and talk kind of has me thinking it's like about to be here. So, yeah, I guess I agree with you on that. It's definitely better to get everyone on board. I guess the thing is like, uh, yeah, it just kind of sucks for the developers that already spent the last maybe like a year building on on V3 and they're about to release. (laughs) Now they're like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I you if you're scheduling dev cycles then you schedule based on like kind of what you know if especially depending on like the size of your dev team and the size of your runway so I don't know if anyone will pivot or not but crypto moves so fast that maybe traditional way you run a business you shouldn't do in crypto yeah if I was building something that's going to launch on v3 I think that the pivot to v4 will be incredibly fast and not like the pivot of v2 to v3 Right. Pivot of V2 to V3, a lot of people weren't so keen on it. And so you still see a massive amount of liquidity in V2. I don't think that's going to be the case for here. I think everyone's going to be like, thank God, give me off of V3. 
Yeah, I think that the changes to X or V4, you know, whatever you want to refer to it, are are definitely enough to, at least on the development side, uh, for people to make the switch. On the user side, I feel like like people don't really understand what Uniswap X is and like what intents do. Um, yeah, and for, and for clarity, for listeners, those are two products. V4 is one product, and X is a completely separate product. Yeah. Um, that's my point, right? Like, <clears throat> so there's, you have this, like, uh, I don't know, meshing of information on two different products that are coming up. And for users, like, they'll probably go with familiarity. So it's like if they're using... Well, like, they'll never everyone, see X. X know, is only ever, for devs. I know what like, I'm saying. It's like, I'm, I'm not talking about between those two. I'm talking about like between going to going back to Uniswap or continuing to use uh, like swap.defilama, right? Because users yeah. don't understand that they'll be able to get the same type of functionality from V4 as they would from like a traditional aggregator. Um, so there has to be, I think they should focus on... Uh, kind of explaining what the features are of v4 because uh, the only people that are kind of excited about v4 uniswap x is are is the development community yeah i mean i actually saw some i don't know if i made this up or i actually saw this but i i feel like i saw something that a large majority of trades from a like retail user perspective are still going through uniswap's front end they're not using really? like an aggregator, which is crazy to me. It's like I haven't yeah. used the Uniswap front end in forever unless I'm depositing liquidity. I only use it sometimes to wrap and unwrap ETH. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you can do that in MetaMask now without a fee, finally. So, I like, don't you don't use even MetaMask. Need... MetaMask, I think, used to charge a fee for wrapping. Um, but yeah. Um... I gave up on Little Fox. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um, yeah, it's just it's crazy to me people aren't using like uh swap.defilama or matcha. I only use matcha or swap.defilama if I, if I'm not like doing something natively to a protocol that involves Same. a swap. Yeah. Doesn't make sense to I actually haven't used matcha since uh defilama put out their swaps I actually solely used <laughs> defilama now yeah there's no swap ux that's good enough to say uh you know you feel so good doing the trade on my site that you wouldn't go and compare our prices to someone else's <laughs> like like so i yeah i mean i defer to the best price yeah just why don't sense. you talk about what are you most excited for with uh the new uniswap releases i know you're you're hard on for intense but what else is coming out with it that you're pretty oh, i have no like opinions on v4 other than some of the hooks will allow us to do better options markets and that's about the extent that i've looked into that um x though i think it's going to be super bullish for natives i mean it's super bearish for aggregators i think and super bullish for native integration at the protocol level or at the project level so like you're going to start seeing more of like a super app type of thing right whereas like 
if you need to do a swap, you don't need to leave the site. You can just do it natively. Like on our site right now, we use Socket, where like if you need to do a swap, you can just do it, or you need to do a bridge, you can just do it on our site. I think you're going to see a lot more apps that just plug into Uniswap. And then via API endpoint, you put in like what the asset you want to look for, and that's going to give you the best price based on the fillers that are providing. Unless there's like some research that comes out that there's preferential treatment or there's, I remember someone put out originally, and then I went into the documentation, I couldn't actually find this myself, that there were like a cabal of fillers that get first uh, right of refusal. So like, I think I read that somewhere too. Yeah, this is like that. There was like uh, the first, I don't know, two seconds or one second or ten milliseconds, whatever it is, is that there's a preferential treatment. So yeah, like for like payment for order flow, and then after that, it goes out to the general network of fillers. Yep. But then I, when I looked at the documentation, I couldn't find that. So I don't know if it was redacted or if that person I, just had a bad interpretation or what. I definitely remember seeing a thread where they were talking about that or they were pointing out how you know that there was like essentially like a whitelisted or like dark yeah. pool of fillers that were approved by uniswap that would get uh first right um but yeah i didn't dig into it much um i just kind of <laughs> i thought it i thought it was just gossip and something that uh i was gonna make hayden fight with people on twitter for him so I was more waiting for <laughs> more waiting to see responses to come back to it. Um, yeah, I should go check. <laughs> I, I, I kind of related, but not really related, but maybe related. Um, there was an article that was put out about on Blockworks about a uh, copycat problem. Um, and the fact that like a lot of public goods generation and public goods creation uh, and like open source nature has left to a lot of like reskins of protocols. And so like you build a nice front end, you throw it on a, a fork and then, you know, you might take more volume than from some of the other groups. Right. And I know that Uniswap was, uh, you know, uh, was, was people were pointing their fingers at Uniswap for doing this comparative to like things that CrocSwap has put out and things that CowSwap has put out and things that one inch has done. I don't um, give it. I don't care at all. Like I, you, you, you've known me from the beginning. I'm all about the front end being closed source and open source everything else. Like, go, go do your own work. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm all for like sharing code and like you know that it's free speech. Like so anyone should be able to uh, look at and reference and learn from code. But uh, in crypto, like providing someone your front end code is like. I don't know. Like it, it, it is the gateway to uh, not just uh, forking and copying you, but back when we kind of first started in DeFi stuff, that was how you scammed people. You know, like people just uh, would rip the front ends of the most popular farms. They'd spin up a, a scam site, and then you know you have a bunch of people losing money on the fifth kimchi fork. <laughs> um, so I've always had like a, I don't know, uh, resistance to open sourcing the front end code. Um, yeah, but I, I think what I'm trying to get at is, and this is the approach that we're taking actually, is a change in the licensing structure. Yeah. So obviously Uniswap does their BSL so that they can 
entrench themselves over a period of time before they, you know, open source the code. And they did a good job scaring everyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think they. It's it's a threat, right? It's a threat. So, um, but they definitely had an opportunistic elements in terms of like other groups that were you know open sourcing the code. And so I felt I feel like other protocols are going to start taking this approach similar to what we're taking is where for non-commercial use full ham right like you can use it for whatever you can straight fork the contracts um or you can like you know you can fork the contracts as long as like the if the flow is still coming to the base set of contracts like in uniswap if you're still doing using the uniswap pool uh pool factory and like the swapping fees and like their base infrastructure then you can do anything else you want with the smart contracts obviously the interfaces are usually open source in terms of integrating but then uh if you want to straight fork um a protocol for non-commercial use like you're not capitalizing on anything you're not making any revenue um and you want to use like your own factory in that circumstance then you know okay fine as long as you're not making any money on it and i think that's what brought a lot of new developers to build on something like a uniswap v2 right the fact that it was fully open source like that you can tinker with it you can build your own protocols you can do whatever with the code base as long as you're not you know, trying to pull a sushi swap and and make money off of it, creating any revenue. In the circumstance in which you want to do that and you want to create revenue, then you pay a royalty, yeah. right? And you do that royalty, you you pay it on chain, um, no questions asked. If you don't pay it on chain, then that's when you're kind of opening yourself up to litigation. Uh, I think it's, I, I mean, that's the approach that we're taking as, as a future, as like commercial use, here are, the, here are the multi-sigs in which you need to pay a 20% fee on. If, you know, if there are not going to be stipulations on when that 20% fee is, just keep open communication lines. Like there's no KYC on what you're doing there, you know, for those, those user groups. Um, but in the event that you don't pay those 20% royalties, then you open yourself up. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, my, kind of uh i'm all for that right i guess my my stronger view for leaning towards or i guess being uh favoring more of closed source for front ends comes from the only time i ever got exploited was like five years ago and it was from downloading uh a bad wallet like a fake wallet and it gave me this different insight into like open source software that I didn't have before. I used to be like, you know, everything should be open source. Everyone should have access to everything. Uh, you know, it's one of the greatest like learning tools that there is to be able to see like a full code base. Um, but then I realized that, you know, in for the reasons that people want things open source, because we should be able to see the code, people should be able to check over the code before they they execute anything or deploy something, there aren't enough people that understand how to look for what shouldn't be there. So even though like all these, these, uh, all these applications, wallets and whatnot were open source, there was nobody looking at it. So it wasn't until someone would get hacked that then someone they knew who, you know, had a security background may go look at this code and then go, Oh yeah, this code is bad because da 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 da. So I was like, there seems to be much 
there seems to be a much thicker safety net or safety blanket when they don't have access to the front end code. And uh, there was a wallet provider I worked with where they open sourced a lot of what they did, but they kept some of their secret sauce closed source uh, that had to do with the way their front end operated. And I, I think in like their history, they may have had like one close copycat, but it helped them protect, you know, the integrity of uh, their software and like their user base. Um, so there's like a, I don't know, like a duality to it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely in crypto, you need to make sure that the source code of the smart contracts is verified so people can read over the functions. Um, whether or not that code base can be freely built upon, uh, derivative works can be utilized, stuff like that. So I think we're a maturing industry in that regard. Because I, I tweeted about this the other day, but so JP Morgan has a program called Onyx. And what Onyx is essentially doing is they're trying to bring, it's, I think they're calling it institutional DeFi. And so what they have been doing, at least for their initial pilot program, is they forked Uniswap, they forked Aave, they loaded them on Polygon, right? And so now you get these protocols that have spent like, you know, millions of dollars in dev to build these protocols that are getting freely forked by a name like JP Morgan. And then they control who can like use those platforms, right? So it's, it's a hybrid, um, it's a permissionless blockchain network, but permissioned usage of these forks. So they will, they do on-chain credentials. So like you can only interact with the smart contracts if your wallet holds an NFT, which means you've been KYC'd and the only assets that can kind of trade with these, like the Uniswap pools are assets in which that they've essentially, you know, issued on chain. So the example was like Singaporean dollars, uh, SGD is they took Singaporean dollars, they issued them on chain, and then they created these like Uniswap pools where you could only trade with them if you had a KYC wallet. Um, and I definitely see a world where we start to see like large banks taking advantage of because I, I my original thought was okay these banks won't have the expertise to deploy this stuff and so that they're going to end up hiring the DeFi developer groups to put their own implementation together anyways right so like the DeFi developer groups will get some benefit um but it doesn't seem like that's the case they're just hiring people in the space that can you know fork and, and run these smart contracts and deploy these smart contracts and not necessarily doing any innovation, just using battle-tested smart contracts and then gating and monetizing um, at the control layer. So uh, DeFi devs need to start paying more attention, I think, to uh, what they're doing or they're going to get... Vampire attacked by uh, by feds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, I definitely see a world where uh, at least the the first part of that you know occurs where we start seeing these, <clears throat> you know, we could just say synthetic assets, right, or approved like whitelisted synthetic assets that are based on whatever regulated native like national currency that uh, the Fed's using or that nation state is using, and then having these like permission KYC pools, uh, almost like 
in parallel to kind of what like Ave was doing originally with their institutional stuff, but a bit more guarded or gated. Um, I definitely see stuff like that happening. We, we've had conversations in the past with people where, you know, they are questioning around how deposits or withdrawals are restricted or how do you know who is depositing or withdrawing into this and yeah there's two there's two like if you get into like the backwoods or the uh, behind closed doors conversations in the DeFi space is there's two camps for sure there's the one camp of like kyc's coming you need to start preparing for it and then there's the other camp that like vehemently like opposes this right and so like we shouldn't even entertain the idea we should continue down the legal course of this is permissionless we can't control who uses the protocol this is how we're building it right when like i'm with you i mean really realistically DeFi devs can put you know wallet controls in place at the smart contract level like but um you can there's two paths that you can take and i i think that a lot of different groups are kind of taking different approaches to that um, and there's some teams that, that have like good legal teams and some teams that don't have good legal teams. And there's some teams that have risk averse legal teams. And there's some that, you know, that are the kind of DeFi native or more, at least crypto native. Do you feel like, hold on one sec. Do you feel like that they will just get kind of replaced? Like if, um, if the narrative in the traditional finance world is that you have to use these, uh, I don't know, approved like applications that have been built in, in like the essence of Ave, the essence of Maker, um, but they uh, do not allow you to interact with anyone. They're not, you know, permissionless. They're they're permission. Do you feel like they will just slowly try to start or keep eating like the DeFi pie and pulling into their pool to where all of the retail and normal users feel like that the permissioned ones that they need to KYC for is the one that like the good people use and the non-permissioned ones is like purely criminal. It's like, um, I think it would be hard for them to push that narrative right now because uh, crypto has bled into retail in a different way than it did the last cycle with kind of with NFTs and the normalization of uh, we'll refer to them all as in-game items, right? Like really all like digital collectibles are Ethereum in-game items. <laughs> um, so like with the introduction of that, there's this there's this additional layer of kind of understanding of a use case that there wasn't the last time around. So do you kind of see that it, it will be too difficult to like push a narrative that you have to use the permission KYC stuff um, or that they'll just like coming swiftly say you can't use anything that's not approved by us. Here's the replacements. Look, I think it's like a hundred percent up to the amount of money that we put into lobbying. Straight up. Because like both both of them can exist. And it's how the narrative is formed, like you said. Like if the narrative is formed that okay, we can comply, then they're just gonna continue to push down that route and force everyone to comply. 
And sure, if you want to commingle between like, like with institutional capital, then you need to comply. And it depends on whether or not the, the, we want the future of crypto to be permissionless or we are like, okay, we'll play by these institutional, institutional comply rules. And there's benefits of that. Um, it, it just depends on, do we, do we like the unregulated money casino elements of DeFi and, and crypto? Do we, or do we not? Um, I think anyone that says that they don't is lying because, you know, like the, the allure outside of controlling, like being the one in control of your money is that you can outperform pretty much every traditional finance, like asset or tool uh, with DeFi in regards to gains and volatility. Um, I, I See, my, my personal take on terms of like driving the narrative will be something like a Ukraine. Right. Whereas you want to remain, you want your to remain like sober and over your own capital. So sovereignty. So, so like if you need to pick up and leave, like you can't be tied to traditional institutions. And if I'm yeah. using, uh, you know, a Ukraine institutional account or whatever, and you know Russia takes them over, and now Russia has control of all these accounts, and I can't get my money out, then I lose. Or if just Ukraine is like we need to rehypothecate this to pay for a war then you can't take your capital out, right? Like if you need to pick up and move and get out of the country and, and you can't do that, like that's a problem, right? And so by having, you know, your own control over your finances is a bigger narrative, I think, than what we need to be pushing in terms of like the outpace returns and the fluidity of capital and stuff like that. I want to say it wasn't that too long ago that, didn't India like reset their cash supply, wipe like eighty they, something percent? They exit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like, you have instances like that happen, and like the citizens of a country still don't like adapt or change. And I'm not saying like um, that it would happen in mass, but although like India is a huge market, you don't see like this. Um, on the ground kind of push to have crypto be like anything more than like what it currently is, I guess. Um, it, it depends if, if things are stable and people are docile and like, you know, um, how people like if people are controlled in a controlled manner, then yeah, they could remain in a controlled manner. They'll remain docile. They'll remain compliant. Uh, but it's when the shit hits the fan is when like that all goes out the door. So if you remain in a, in a stable environment, then yeah, I could, could see people and been like, okay, well, I don't, you know, I, I can comply because these are not issues that I face within my lifetime. That's but, the, that's always the, the case, right? Like, and that's why <clears throat> history rhymes because people say, Oh, that happened, you know, 40 years ago that like isn't going to happen to me or what's happening now isn't the same as what happened before. Um, and it's really just until like, it is. Yeah, they're yeah. really just like in the ramp up stage so they don't really realize it. And then it's too late and they're like, oh, shit, it happened again. Um, <clears throat> that's one of the not the um, what happened in India, but just that idea of 
you know, the government, the boogeyman being able to, you know, seize your funds because of some national emergency or, you know, something happening was one of the like leading ideas that kind of drove me into like the Bitcoin rabbit hole when I first got into Bitcoin stuff. It was this like massive distrust for the government and what they may do during a time of war um, under the guise of, you know, security and protection. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's within our grandparents' lifetime that it happened, right? In the U.S. at least. A hundred years isn't a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's like there, there were seizures. There were seizures of gold in, I don't know, when was that, like the 40s? There were seizures of alcohol a hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like, like, like what's it called? The Overton window. Um, like the, the time period in which that something, you know, it becomes relatively acceptable, like can swing in any what direction. Right. Like look at marijuana. Like I remember you look at marijuana, like... you look at like racism, you look at like, there's a lot of things that swing in incredibly fast rates based on, you know, what happens because uh, people have short-term memories, right? And so, like, what is what is acceptable for a given time frame can swing dramatically, and that's why you need to have like structures in place that, if this were to happen, that I could still control my finances. And so, I think that's the narrative that needs to be pushed more than, you know, the unregulated behavior of people losing money on scams or you know poor investment decisions. And it needs to be. It's not that the SEC should, you know, or or regular regulatory bodies like the SEC should control and, you know, and, and police what I can do with my money. You, sh you should be able to freely do it with your money what you want. Um, you can do it with your own person. It's right? a hard narrative to convince people that aren't looking for like an alternative on or that aren't being affected. Like I remember when I used to talk to people about why I was so like interested in Bitcoin and it made me like a hundred percent sound like a tinfoil hat person because as soon as you start talking about um any topic that has to do with like mistrust of government on a large scale um people immediately like raise an eyebrow and especially when it has to do with money they're like oh you're gonna fade the dollar uh like it's just like you it doesn't matter how much you talk about inflation to them or talk about like you know, the dollar being backed on good faith and trust, like none of that like matters to anyone. Um, you can bring up what's happened in other countries with their monetary systems. And because it's never like happened to them or they haven't experienced it, the the worry isn't something that, you know, they will entertain their minds with. Like, why would I worry about that? Like my bank's fine. And like that, what you're describing has never happened in my lifetime. Um, I will say like nonpartisan in a nonpartisan way that Trump and his like fake news narrative really caused people to think about the things that they're reading for better or for worse. Um, obviously conspiracy, uh, groups have grown significantly, um, for good or for bad. And like, I was actually, so I'm, I'm always interested in like these alternative sources of data. And I was just looking at like the top book sales in Amazon. And I was looking at like, what, which is like, obviously you'll get like the new, whatever the new game of Thrones fantasy novel is and you know, whatever self-help book it is. But I was going through like the first, I don't know, 50 pages. 
And there is a significant amount of untrust of government books that are starting to hit there, especially like Red Wave, especially with the election year coming out, like Republican type books. Um, so I definitely see like, again, Overton window type stuff of mistrust of the government starting to be in a completely different place than it was even like during the Brock's time, like way different than where it was during Brock's time. Dude. I mean, just over the last five years uh, on both sides of the like U S political spectrum, the amount of scandals, uh, whiplash, like all sorts of stuff on each side. um, I feel like I've been at like an all time high. And because of the way that, social media and content distribution works now uh everyone is getting it served to them at like rapid speed so whether it's bad stuff about donald trump about vivek it's one of them schooling uh, elon musk and, and and putting all of the the twitter the twitter files yeah the twitter stuff like you know the biden stuff between both of them like you have so much shit that um floods in from both sides that it's hard to uh, it's hard to look at, like, for, I guess, for the people that believe in there being a two-party system, it's hard to look at either side with through the lens of trust when there's so much scandal that's being put right in front of everyone. So I think it may be one of the first times in a while that uh, there is, like, massive distrust on each side, and they feel like they have to kind of, like, really pick through the data and what's being served to them because of all of the quote unquote misinformation and, and narratives that are being fed to people. I think it's a great, a great point to, to end on today. Uh, we didn't really go through good. This is a, this is a, it was a good, a good show today. We didn't even really cover current events. Yeah. You know, the only thing that I want to uh, touch on real quick before we wrap up is I put out a tweet earlier today. Um, we are doing some demos of Premium Blue, the new options exchange that we're going to launch very, very soon. Um, <clears throat> if you are a close friend and you would like a early demo, we're doing them tomorrow and on the 8th, shoot me a DM or shoot Premium Finance on Twitter a DM um, so we can set up a time and get you accounted for. But we're super excited about it. Been working hard on it for the last, what, year and... Two years. I feel like almost two years now. That was two years in November. Eight months. Yeah. Oh wow, November. All right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's kind of the magnus opus. We're really excited to share it with everyone. If you uh, if you have not already shot me a DM, shoot me a DM. We'll schedule a time. Um, that's all I got. DK, anything from you before we close this up? No, nope, appreciate the time. Um, I won't be here tomorrow. I'll leave it to Cozy if if we're gonna do a show tomorrow or not, but. And we will probably be traveling on Monday and Tuesday of next week. But other than that, we should be here Thursday, Friday. Yep, yep. I'm going to try and get something going tomorrow. Monday, Tuesday, we'll probably be out, though, for travel. We should try to do something while we're uh, in personalist. They usually have those, uh, you know, booths. podcast setup booths. Yeah. We, could tr- we could see how uh, we could possibly book a time, maybe get some people who are live there to come sit down and chat. Awesome. That'd be dope. All right, guys. It's been fun. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow at 11 a.m. EST. Adios.